where I was is quite different from who I am today. And praise God that I found people who believed in me and loved on me and guided me and mentored me to become who I am today. Otherwise, I, I don't know that I'd still be alive, quite frankly. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be. So it, it took relationships. And so that's the hope, even though I have yeah these concerns, the hope is we have churches and we have ministries and we have leaders who are really hungry to create this connection. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollo's Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today on our show, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. Today, we're continuing our conversation with author and trainer Chris Corsi about his book, The Joy Switch. If you haven't listened to the first episode, then please stop running on the treadmill. Just hit pause for a second so you don't fall off and go back to that episode, please, because I don't want you to get hurt. You need to check that episode out. This conversation is about our relationships, and we all know the relationships are hard, especially today. It's easier to tune out and do anything else than try to engage in relationships, television, phone, eating, etc., whatever it might be. That is what we all do. We substitute stuff and other things for the complexity of the relationships that we have with people. And Chris calls these things BEEPs. It's really an acronym that stands for behaviors, events, experiences, people, and substances that we go to rather than work on the relationships right in front of us. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to write this down on a sticky note. I want you to pause this, go grab some sticky notes, go grab your notebook and a pen or pull out your phone and be able to write these down and post it somewhere where you're going to see these and guard against the beeps, okay? Now I'm telling you, this is a conversation that can help navigate all of your relationships. So before you take another step on the treadmill or wash another dish, then pause simply where you're at, count to five and breathe. Because this is a conversation that may well change the relationships with your spouse, in-laws, boss, employees, or the guy simply rolling your burrito at Chipotle. Our conversation is practical, just like the book, which takes insights from the Bible and brain science to help us with our relationships so that we might be able to live in joy and not dread and frustration with those we interact with the most. It helps us to know what to do when our joy switch gets overloaded and switches off and how we can turn it back on. Today, we're talking about navigating the need for breaks. My phone got hot the other day, and this notification came up on my screen that just simply said, your phone will resume operation once it cools down. You know, the same is true for us. Sometimes we need to step away because our joy switch got flipped and needs to cool off before it functions again. We all need this to live in joy. And that's why we brought this conversation to you and so many of the other conversations that we've had. And if you want to hear more conversations like this one and help to water the world, then simply click the link in your show notes because we have an opportunity in front of us to help more people grow in their walk with Jesus and increase their joy. Now, let's get to my conversation with Chris Corsi. Happy listening.
I'm a big advocate of multi-generational church, especially today, especially with the disintegration of the family. It's even more needed to have those structures, to have those older people speaking in. But in a culture that is fragmented as ours is, where the family is has uh, unraveled, where people travel, you might be isolated, you could have multiple grandparents, I mean, four, eight, uh, divorce, even if you know who they are. I mean, just the real world we're in. How do you help create that environment for those older and younger people to come together? When the young people are like, I don't want to go. I'm just on my phone. I want to talk to my friends, get on Discord, you know. And then the older people are like, no one's going to want to hear what yeah. I have to say. Yeah. And that's, that's, that is, that is the challenge is how do you bridge this? And one of the ways we did this with the congregation that I pastored is we, we did a lot around food. We did a lot around meals. And Amen, so, brother. You know, eating food. together is a very popular activity in the Bible. It is right? huge. So that, that's why Jesus gets into trouble. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, you have this idea of that table fellowship is huge. Yeah. But I find that a larger, the larger a church becomes, the less that happens. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and we can lose, we can quickly, easily lose that. And so the, the things that I often will tell communities is go after, you know, times of, you know, meals and skills. And so what I find is people with some life, they know how to do things like change oil and like they have certain skills that, you know, I didn't know how to change oil in a car. I mean, yeah, I could try to bumble my way through with YouTube and figure this out. But like to have people, people um, who have skills that they can teach skills and stories is another thing. Kids love stories. And that's, you know, what you describe some really good stories and kids. The brain is, you know, really love stories. That's, that's something like movies and music. Those are stories, right? Poetry. Like we hold on to that. That goes deep. And so if you. You know, if you get people with some life where they can share life in a way that meets some needs, whether it's a meal or whether it's around a skill, um, include, you know, very purposeful storytelling time. And yeah, what the young people will discover is some of these older people actually have something to to offer, something to give. And as you said, we discover like, oh, they're they're kind of like me. You know, I'm kind of like them in some ways. So it, it can bridge some gaps, but it is, it, it often takes some buy-in from the family or from a parent who can provide, you know, some opportunities by participating. And the challenge is, it's hard to get the parents to engage this stuff. And, but the parents have needs. So like, you know, part of learning like the Joyce, which like when parents learn this stuff, they're like, oh, wow, you just explained how my family relates. So even getting parents some skills by people who've raised children and, you know, passing on some skill or some stories or some wisdom or some advice, getting people to connect in a language that they speak, in a language that they understand. And it, it usually, again, kids will no, might go in there with the joy switch off, like, yeah, this is a waste of my time. Why am I doing this? But often what happens when you get them to, you know, get these people and communities connecting, it's actually very satisfying. And then, you know, once the joy switch starts kind of coming on, because people with life to give that might not have a lot of opportunities, it's easy for them to be glad to be with people. And kids need to see people who are glad to be with them. Like they need to see a face that lights up to see them. Even if they don't know them, they're glad to be with them. And so kids 
feel that. And whether they admit it or not is another thing, but they see it. Your Their brain is looking at faces within milliseconds, seeing whether and determining whether you're authentically, genuinely glad to be with me. So I always tell kind of the, the older folk in the communities, like, live in your face. You know, let kids see your face. I tell greeters of churches, like, live in your face. Don't overwhelm everybody. But, you know, you know <laughs> I can see it. Hey! Yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want to. <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you don't want to scare everybody away. But just like a genuine. Yeah. Like, you know, it's got to be joy and rest. Right. And I was telling them, like, don't overwhelm them. But just genuinely. You know, just know every human brain that walks into the doors of your church, the, every human brain is looking at faces and determining, do I belong here? And are people glad to be with and, me? And they hadn't even heard a sermon yet. <laughs> this is. This is the frustration that I have right now in our current cultural moment, because I think that people are wanting to give all the answers. Like, here's the answer. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. But they're giving answers to questions that the battle might be at that question, but the war is really about the relationship Uh, because I I see this happen all the time. When you talk to people that are deconstructing, let's say, and that's what's going on in our culture right now, you you talk to them and yes, they have issues with some theological issue, but if you scratch them, I remember Walt Kaiser, old Testament professor used to be the president of um, Gordon Conwell theological seminary. He said, scratch a liberal and you'll find a fundamentalist underneath. And, I, and I'm like, that's so true. It, it, it really is a person that got offended by the crowd or they didn't feel like they fit in or they couldn't be able to understand them. They weren't feeling that. And then the issue that they held is what became the definitive part. And they had to find the people that would agree with them on that. And, and so that's where I'm looking at today going, if we're going to have any type of renewal, it's not about shouting answers or, you know, we could get into the whole woke or whatever it is that's, that's going on in our current cultural moment. But it's the idea of, it, it sounds so simple and cliche, but loving them and yeah. wanting to be with them. I mean, isn't You're that right. really what it's You're coming right. down to? This joy idea? That, you know, it, our love for our brothers and sisters is a reflection of our love for God is what the yep. scripture tells yep. us. So how well I love those that I can see is a reflection of how well I really love the one that I can't see. And so you're exactly right. Like this, uh, at the end of the day, you know, yeah, doctrine's important. You got yes, to have, you have to have good doctrine. We're not denying yeah, doctrine. But if, yeah. We got to have our, our theological ducks in a row, but if you can't relationally walk that out, you will inevitably lose people because at the end of the day, people are looking uh, relationally, they're looking at the faces, they're watching, they're observing. Is this a place where where people are glad to be with me, where I belong, where I matter? That is what every human brain is asking when they walk through the doors of your church. And so it helps to understand this. If you can get the relational stuff covered, people are more open for the other, the theological stuff. But if you miss out on the relational piece, we lose them. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. 
We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. I remember being in an undergraduate um, Bible college. And I remember one of the deans saying, never again will you be around so many people your own age that love Jesus the way that you do. And, and I thought, ah, yeah, okay. You know, you don't know. You just don't know. And you get older and you get older. And especially if you move, it takes a long time to develop those relationships that we need so desperately. So, so every time I see churches saying, oh, we got this program, we got that, we got for your kids, we got that. I, 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 okay. And, oh, we need this worldview, that worldview. And, and again, I'm not against any of those. I, I, I fully believe in it. I'm just saying it's not the solo answer. And a lot of the issues can be taken care of with relationships before we ever get to this question. Yeah. That's why yeah, I find right. your ministry and, and, so important. Yeah, and you know, and part of why I'm highly motivated to to do this work is just my own experience. You know, I grew up in a church that, you know, I learned about God. They were passionate. Like, you know, my pastor would walk the aisle with his Bible. He's sweating and he's preaching. Like, I admired, you know, like, wow. Like, when I was five, I told my mom, you know, when I get older, I want to be a pastor. You know, that seed was there. It was. And I'm thankful for that because that became the foundation of the rock that I fell back on later in life. But what was missing, were, it was the relational piece. These were not my people. I, I didn't feel like this is my spiritual family. They didn't miss me when I was gone. There was nobody really, you know, lit up to see me, even notice me. And somehow I, I kind of fell through the cracks. And, you know, now that I'm where I am today, it's like, wow, just a, a face, a face that could have been glad to see me on a Sunday morning could have made the difference for me and just something so simple. And so if we add these ingredients into a fellowship and a community and a church, you will get farther down the road with those that you serve and you will actually create the environment where people are, are glad to be together. They feel like they matter. They have something to give. Good things grow in that. Mm. Well, you mentioned something. Um, and and I, I I am in total support of that. Good seeds will grow in that garden. We've talked about the scripture, and you mentioned this. These relational aspects are in the scripture. We, I mean, simply put, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Nevertheless, we espouse that with our lips, but the practical side has not always been there. And even when it has been there, I don't want to make it sound like I mean, you can do everything right and still have someone go away. God's the perfect parent. We still rebel. <laughs> so you can do it perfectly. They'll have something go wrong. So I don't want to put that type of pressure on, on our audience right now. But I, I, do, I do want to know, why have we missed this relational aspect that is so clear 
in scripture, but now brain science and just the loneliness we're experiencing is bringing this to the surface in ways that we've perhaps not seen. Perhaps it was taken for granted in previous generations and they just had it, but technology has caused us to separate our, our modernity, traveling, moving, all of those things. It was just there. Is that the, the reason? I mean, why is this happening to us in this moment that we need to even address it? I think it's more in our face now than ever before because of the reasons that you shared. You know, this is in our faces more. We are faced with the reality of of people who are not wanting, you know, to go to church or people who have a lot of church hurt and, and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, looking at history, the, the thing that stood out in, in church history is a value on knowledge just find a value on theology, which is good. You got, like, like we said, we got to have the doctrine. You got to have your ducks in a row. Um, the, the part of man that can make good choices. And those are all good things. But what, what kind of got neglected is what drives the bus and what drives the bus is the relational stuff that we're talking about. It is the relationship of loving God, of learning that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And actually learning that and, you know, being around people that value that. And ultimately, my relational skills are a reflection of just what my family or my community had to work with. And it's not to blame them or shame them. I have very loving parents. I love my family. They just didn't have some of these skills. And again, if I don't have the skills, I can't pass the skills on to my kids. I can't pass the skills on to my congregants. I actually have to learn some of these skills. I do have to work on quieting. I do have to work on building some joy or getting back to joy. Like these are things we can, we can work on. And if the skill is there, it'll show up. But if the skill's not there, it ain't going to be there. It's not going to show up. Something else will. And so part of it is just helping people learn. There is a way to learn these skills. There is a way to, to learn to be more relational and again, being relational doesn't mean we have to talk all the time. It also means we rest together. We can still, I can rest in quiet with friends or family and take a breather while we're still glad to be together. So, it, you know, it's part of it's finding a rhythm. But if the skill is missing and we haven't really had much of a language for some of this before, thankfully, brain science did provide some, some language. And then we could say, okay, well, if this is what brain science says. Let me look in, in the Bible. Let me see what scripture has to say, because that's where I'm going to go. To, you know, to put any weight on this stuff and like, oh, wow, joy is in the Bible. And there's a lot of times that joy shows up and it is a relationship. And OK, what does that mean? But but ultimately, if we don't have the skills, one will compensate often in non-relational ways. So I will put more emphasis on information, on good choices. If I don't have certain skills, I will go with whatever I have to work with. And so if I don't have that skill, it will affect those that I serve inevitably. If I don't, if I don't speak the language, I can't teach you. And so part of this ultimately is, and this is often why this material gets discounted sometimes, because at the end of the day, I have to do something myself. I have to be a steward of my own growth and understanding, you know, maybe there are some rocks in my shoes that I have to remove. Maybe there is some pain that's hindering me from growing in the ways and maturing in the ways, or maybe it's just, I just didn't have, my family didn't have a certain skill. So my family, we didn't know how to get back to joy from fear. So we just, you know, or shame, we just avoided it or we got stuck. So part of it is just, I actually can do something 
and to learn what's missing or maybe just to strengthen some areas of weakness that just need a little bit of practice. And part of it, we just didn't have the road before to know, how do I do this? And, and you know, thankfully, when these skills were there, it's because families and communities had them. So back in the day, if you had a family or a community that had these skills, they would show up and they would spread relationally. But now, because of the world that we live in, it's a different world. Families don't live together like they used to. In fact, they, you know, often we'll, we'll move to get away from families at some time. So, you know, what happens is where life has changed in some pretty profound ways. And again, there's many good things about technology. I don't, I don't bash technology, but it quickly can compensate in some ways. And, you know, I turn to technology in a way that I, I might not otherwise if I actually had the skill. Well, even, even as you mentioned, and I, I've cited this on the show before, where you have second and third John, where he says, I've written to you enough in paper and ink. I long to see you face to face. And I mean, and we're grateful for technology. We wouldn't be able to have this conversation today unless we had technology. But at the same time, we have to understand that technology can't solve the, the deep relational hunger. It can give us a taste, I think, or, or some aspect of it. But as you mentioned, it, it can be almost like a pseudo it's like a, not a substitute, but it's not the same as being there and getting a hug. It's getting lazy, my dear. But that ain't nothing to fear. Thick mist conceals our surroundings. Can't quite make out what's around these shadows and mazes of mirrors. Everything. So foggy, all of these smoke screens haunting Swirling around, showing no signs of stopping Feeling so daunting Don't run from the greater unknown It's okay to lose control Don't be afraid To step into the You mentioned with your work, though, you said it sometimes gets, I, I don't want to, I want to make sure I don't put words in your mouth. You said sometimes it doesn't get a lot of, you didn't say respect, it, it get the credit it deserves or the respect it deserves. Maybe that was it. Um, what has been the negative that you have seen people responding to this? Yeah, it's an uphill climb. You know, what we're trying to do is to put these skills back into society, particularly in our Christian communities. And so it is an uphill climb. We have a lot of things working against us. And, you know, one of the challenges, again, is, is technology and there's a disconnect. And let's face it, it's easier for me to just do some teaching to you and, and send you on your way and hope that you can take it and apply it and, and use it with your family where I don't have to keep working that vine. And so what, what I, what we're doing is saying there's some work to be, we have to tend our garden, right? We all have a garden to tend. And if Adam and Eve said, no, God, I'm tired of tending this garden. You tend it. You do this. God would say, no, that's your domain. So there's some domain that God brings the resources, but we do have to tend, do a little bit of work. And so what, what we're talking about today is tending a garden and doing some work, pulling some weeds and getting dirty and growing some things in this garden that will feed the world. Mm. And it's really, you know, what we're focused on is relational aspects of our faith. And that's the part that we see is missing in many ways, or at least we're losing it in ways that is having an effect. It's an unwanted effect. And 
the world is watching, the world feels it. I mean, there's, there's so many train wrecks that happen in our faith. And when, you know, I'm the guy that's usually called in when there's a train wreck and they say, okay, how can we both prevent this from happening again? And how can we go forward, you know, and pick up the pieces and the consistent ingredient in all the train wrecks that I see in a lot of ministries is there's, there was some relational aspect, a relational skill that was missing. And rather than recognizing it and doing something about it, there, the train kept moving forward and people were getting run over in the process, in the process. And there was just a lot of relational casualties. So what we're trying to do, it is a bit of an uphill climb because there is some work involved. Um, but we are trying to help people discover like there are things you can do that's so simple. It's not hard. We just haven't really had the, um, the motivation for it before or just the understanding. Um, but we're kind of, yeah, we're fighting uphill in many ways just because the way that the world is going, it's very easy to lose the relational fabric of the communities. And so we're like, wait a minute. We need we need to be a relational bunch who love Jesus and reflect that relationally. And if we don't do this relationally, there's going to be a cost. It, the book is pregnant with the concepts of practice. Like, put this into practice right away. Don't just let this be a theory. Think about it. Sit on it. Meditate. Breathe in and out. You know, you had some exercises in there. Breathe this. Pull it back out. So this this was something that I felt also connects both sides of the brains at, you know, the brain, brain aspect of it, that whole full brain Christianity that you hear so often in, in uh, Jim's work. My, but here's another question I have with this as, as like, I, I've been wondering, and I was asking this of Jim, are there times that are legitimately my, my joy switch needs to be off. How do we, is there a legitimate Joy switch being off so I can go into enemy mode for, I mean, some type of thing. I mean, when, when do we, are we allowed to be angry? Like get, that my wife is, is to allowed to be frustrated because I'm like, well, your joy switch is off now. Now that joy switch is doubly off and mine's going off because I just said her that hers was on. It's on. <laughs> on so so we're in trouble now (laughs) and and as you know as my friend used to say and that's when the fight started (laughs) um but i i really want to know because there we are we are we are humans and and even anger can be an aspect of like not all anger is bad i mean we we do say righteous anger but anger is simply a wanting to correct something that we perceive is wrong. So God himself, I mean, his is perfect anger. His is not, I mean, we don't have all the factors like he does, but I remember a young woman that just beat herself up over all the time. She's like, my church told me that I could never be angry. And I'm like, okay, that's not, that's not right because you are human. If so, and, and again, I know people get into what's righteous anger, but I'm just saying an anger in general. Anger in general isn't always a bad thing. Just like with shame, we had we had Taylor Lau. We had Taylor Lau on the show. Uh, Taylor Lau wrote a book. Uh, he's a scholar out of uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and wrote a book called "Defending Shame." He comes from an Asian background, Asian culture. There's this, and I remember talking to Jim about this. There is a formative aspect to shame that should be exhibited within the church for disciplinary reasons. It, healthy shame, right? Not toxic shame. Healthy shame. So how do we fit that in this idea of the joy switch 
within all of these things. Cause one level I'm like, okay, can I not be angry? Okay. Can I, can I, can I, can I, is that bad for me to be angry? Or what do I do when, when I, when I'm just tired of my wife is angry and she's, she yeah. is legitimately frustrated. Yeah. And what totally. I'm doing right now, you don't have to give a totally or an yeah. amen there, but <laughs> yeah, well, sorry. Yeah. Sure. I get it. I get but it. You don't have to amen that, Chris. <laughs> you don't have to do that to me right now. Yep. Sorry, My wife man. is like, I'm sorry. Well, finally, somebody gets it. <laughs> somebody. Gets, she's yep. like, no, all I, right. I get this is, she's like, I like this show. <laughs> this is your best episode ever, honey. Uh, uh, yep. Yeah. Um, but I mean, seriously, how do we fit uh, this in with all of these different things? And like with my kids, like uh, my kid, uh, uh, my son, and, and he's not going to listen to this, but I got to be careful. He is moved to a new community. He's got, he's bonds with his friends. He'd rather be on his phone, which some I never wanted to get him. I just didn't want to get it to him, but, but all his friends have it. And that's his social connection. He'd rather, and, and I mean, we got to put restrictions on the phone, but I try to talk to him. And he's like, eh, you know, I, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, hey, I got the smile on, you know, I want to enjoy with you. And he's like, I don't want to do that. So then I get frustrated. And I'm like, is it legitimate for me to be frustrated and not have my joy switch on right now? I'm going to flip it off because I'm mad. How do we do with all this? You know, that's an excellent, excellent question. I relate with a lot of those scenarios as well with my family. And, you know, our brain is wired for negative emotion. So after the first year of life, your brain is wired six, to start right? having big six? the big six. So we call them. Hey, the give them to me. So you've got. So you've got anger, fear, sadness, shame, hopeless, despair and disgust. So your brain after the first year of life, going into the second year of life, your brain is is going to have those responses. It's often called the terrible twos. Because a lot of parents are like, what's happening to my child? Who is this? Like these big feelings because your brain's amplifier gets turned on and activated. So you, our, our brain, God created us for upset feelings. And here's the difference. Like, here's the key. Like we are going to have anger. We are going to have disgust. We are going to have, you know, shame. The key is, do I have people who, who, Remind me who I am while I'm feeling this feeling. So in other words, when I'm mad, what helps when I'm mad is having someone who can validate, go, wow, I can see you're really mad here. Um, what helps when you feel this? So the, the key is not to feel alone in our emotions. And that's the key. So with my joy switch, isn't, doesn't mean I need to connect. I can, my joy switch can be on while I'm reading a book next, sitting next to my wife. If my joy switch is on, I'm aware that she's there. I care about her. We're not talking, you're interacting. I'm reading a book. If my joy switch is off, I might be annoyed that she's breathing too loud. And I'm trying to focus on my book. Like, it's amazing what our brain gets bothered by in enemy mode, right? But the, the joy switch being on just means I'm remembering who I am for me. But I can also be aware of what's going on around me and even care about people. We don't even necessarily have to have to interact. So what happens with emotions is when I feel a feeling and my brain hasn't learned to quiet that emotion, then, it, then I either get stuck, which is not going to be fun, right? Because then I can't quiet. I can't recover back to joy. I either get stuck in the emotion or I just learn to sidetrack to a more manageable emotion. So I might be feeling disgust or I might be even feeling hopeless at something, but I'm mad. And people say, why are you mad? It sounds like, you, you know, you, you're really feeling disgusted. Are you really feeling really sad about this why are you mad well I'm, 
anger feels more manageable than some of the other feelings. So your brain will gravitate toward the, you know, what is easier for me? So people get mad when they're really feeling some shame or they're really feeling some despair. But the key is, have I learned that when I have a big feeling that someone's still with me and glad to be with me, even while I'm feeling my feeling, or do I feel alone in it? And so there's a there's an excellent example early in Mark where Jesus is mad and we are told he's, you know, he's in a rage, basically. It's when it's the Sabbath and it's the the, the Pharisees bring a oh, man with yeah, the shirt. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're they're testing him. Yeah. Right. So this is one of the the few times in the Bible we actually like get a sense as to what's happening in Jesus and you know what's his emotional experience. And the Greek word is orge, and it just means like if you're you're furious, you're you want to kill someone. And this Greek word, when it says Jesus was mad, it's it's actually more he was furious, he was irate. And then Paul uses this in Colossians to say, put these away from you. Orge you know, is wrath is one of those words that Paul says, don't even go there. If you go here, it's going to be bad. So we know it's a big feeling. It's a strong feeling. And if we, we forget who we are and we probably say or do things that don't reflect who God made us to be, but here's Jesus, right? He looks at their hardness of heart, the Pharisees. And what does he do? He is so irate. Does he drop kick the Pharisees? Does he put them in a headlock? What does he do? Well, he tells a man with the shriveled hand to stretch out, stretch out your hand, and he heals the man's hand. Like Jesus was so irate, he did a miracle. He was so, he did a miracle. Yeah, he did a miracle. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not that doesn't justify that right? doesn't jive with the British Jesus. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. And it's it's you know, if somebody is in that feeling, you want you see in their body language, they're mad. But Jesus, here's the key. Jesus remembered who he was. So he could be mad, but he remembered who he was. He didn't forget who he was. Now, when we get angry and we can't manage what we're feeling, we forget who we are temporarily. The joy switch goes off. We act like a different person or we say and do things that don't reflect our heart and our values or our faith. So what, what relational skills are, relational skills are what we learn to manage these feelings and still be ourselves and be our relational selves and remember who we are. And so part of what this means in our communities is we remind people who they are when they forget. We don't get stuck on their malfunction. We actually remind them who they are relationally when they forget, when they lose it. And that, that takes some skill here, Travis, because I have to admit there's been times in my life I've been with people who are irate and I tell some of those stories in the yeah, book. You did. Some um, of them was yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, I was, well, who I was, knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, wow, we're getting oh, yeah. real here. Yep. No, very <laughs> real. I've got lots of stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And and the key ultimately is can I remember who I am and help you remember who you are while we feel this and while we process this and while we navigate this? And that's usually where things break down in a lot of uh, teams and le leadership teams and so forth. When their conflicts mean, if I don't have relational skills, problems become bigger than relationships. And when problems become bigger than relationships, something's going to happen. That's not going to be good. It, there's going to be a cost. And so part of this is, yeah, being the people who remember who we are, no matter what's going on, no matter how I'm feeling, what emotion I'm I'm in. And so part of what we do in our ministries, we're actually training people in exercises and skills to be able to do this. 
So that's kind of what we do at the end of the day. We're training people to be Christ-like and to remember who they are under all kinds of conditions by learning pathways back to joy from your upsetting emotions. And so like with your wife and, and those dynamics that you described, yeah, when, when people are upset, they need to feel seen, heard, and understood. And if you don't help them feel seen, heard, and understood, you can predict they're going to feel minimized. They're going to feel alone and they're not going to feel joy here with you. Oh, so that, you know, that means I shouldn't try to fix my wife, but I should try to listen and validate. Like, wow, well, honey, I can see you're really mad at me because I forgot to pick up some milk on the way home. Yeah, I really dropped the ball. So what, what do we, you know, what can I do? What, what needs to happen here? So we get, we get back to joy. So I don't break the relationship. It's like, okay, yeah, I, I messed up and I can see that really affected you. So I'm not, I'm not defending. I'm not justifying like, well, you know, I was busy had a long day. That's just going to create like now she feels alone in her upset. That ain't going to be good. That's putting out a fire with gasoline. That night, I stepped into a dream. But now I barely want to sing. Well, my voice feels fine. But there's nothing left to say. You know, you mentioned this. I, I remember I was dying. I was trying to witness to one of my neighbors. Uh, he was Jewish and his parents had been through the Holocaust and he'd been, he was a professor. And so we would get together for, for breakfast uh, every so often. And we got into this conversation and we started talking about forgiveness and his expertise was in kind of like um, Jewish relations with other countries and cultures and with the Holocaust. And he said to me, so it was actually very wise. He said, try apologizing without saying, I'm sorry. And he goes, I'm not trying to be jerky. I'm actually saying, use other descriptors that convey what the person feels, what your action did. So then they feel that understood that validation that they, like you said, seen, heard and understood. And, and I, I tried that. I mean, at first it was very offensive to me because I'm like, well, wait a minute. I want to, I, I should say, I'm sorry, you know, and, but I, I understood it when I started trying to do it. And I'd say, I realized that what I just did right there made you feel small and, and, and little and demeaned and forgotten. And I will not do that again. I deeply apologize for the, the feeling. Yeah. She okay. <laughs> yeah, she's on to you, you know, now. It, she felt better. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, you know, then she felt more validated in that. Now I wish I could say I've always done that well. And now she's like, I know, and now I know what you're doing. no she's not like that my wife is not she's one of the most forgiving amazing women and she's listening right now so she's incredible no she is she actually is um but with this book i mean what have been the responses from to the joy switch have you had people go this just doesn't work for me yeah you know uh, most of the responses have been positive in that people feel like that it explains something about their life that's been a thorn in their side in other words you know like wow this puts this this helps me understand why when this happens i lose it or you know this is why my marriage is struggling or this is why i'm disconnected with my kids or you know the common response is you just explain something that makes sense to me and explains something in my life that i'm struggling with and the other response is, what do I do with it? And that's why I put the exercises in there. Because at the end of the day, and you mentioned the whole brain approach. So at the end of the day, it's good to have the information. So I wanted to give some very simple ways of laying this out, including some stories. 
but it was the exercises that I knew people need to practice. So when I meet with the leadership team, I'll give them the information, but now we're going to practice. And so, so, so what do you do? Do you have like, okay, pastor and pastor, let's sit down, face one another in chairs. And, and what do you, I mean, tell me, take me through one of these. Yeah. So I would, you know, here's a common thing that I'll do if I'm with a leadership team, I'll say, okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to go around and everybody at the table, and you're going to tell each person a couple things that you like about them, something you appreciate about them. And, and, you know, everybody quickly does the math, like, okay, there's eight, 10 people at this table, you know, we've got this much time. You could just see people are like, really? Like, we got to do this. And I'm like, just bear with me, right? We're go- and everybody has to go. And I have to say something that I appreciate, uh, at least uh, hopefully a couple things I appreciate about every person. And so, yeah, it takes a little bit of time, but I'll tell you what, you see this group come alive. You see the energy levels increase. You see smiles on their faces, often tears. You see a group connect in a, in a really you know short amount of time by one simple activity. And that is me putting words to what I like about you, what I enjoy, what I appreciate about you, what I respect, what I admire about you. That exercise alone, it gets everybody's joy switch on because now I feel seen, heard and understood. I feel appreciated. I feel valued. I feel like I belong with this group. I have, you know, this is this is so life giving for people. It is such an easy exercise, but it's simply putting words to pausing and stopping long enough to list like, what do I value? about the people around me? What do I enjoy? What do I see that God's put in you that I can admire and that I can just, you know, really respect? Travis, this is one of the the best exercises. So easy. And then I'll say, now compare how you felt when we started to how you feel now. And it's night and day. It's night and day because people are like, well, yeah, you know, I just thought this is going to be kind of a dumb meeting and I don't know why we're doing it. (laughs) But now I feel alive. I feel I, I feel, I feel special. I feel loved. You know, I, I, it, it's something so simple. Everybody's joy switch is now on. And I say, now, how does that feel in your body? Compare it with how you felt when we started. And it's like, well, this is night and day. Like I was worried when we started, I was distracted by, you know, what, what's going on. And wow, I, I feel peaceful. I feel glad to be with these people. I actually, you know, I'm glad to be here. It's, it's night and day and it's so simple. So that's the kind of stuff that we do to help people learn this stuff. So it's funny you mentioned that, but that's a positive example. I knew of a church. I'm not going to say the name of the church because there's one of those horror stories. Is that we had this couple start coming to our church. They moved into our area and they had gone to this other church. And I knew of this other church. And they are in a small group with us and they wanted to do this, what they called intense discipleship. Now they gotten, they had gotten saved at that particular church. So they didn't know anything else. They had come from the city into the suburbs. So they were used to a very different world, but they told me what they did in their small group. They said, we would, we would separate guys and girls. We'd make a circle and we'd put a chair in the middle. And then we would put one person in the middle and then they would say everything that was wrong, not positive, wrong. Like in their, in their discipleship and their walk with God, oh, ter- I mean, brutal. just tear them up. Yeah, that's brutal. And then they would go around after that and they would talk about it. Then they would do the positives. And, and I'm just like, I would never go to your small group. No, <laughs> no. Man, who would want to do that? You're it's traumatizing like, people. Know? problems of my own. I can tell you what's wrong with me. I don't need you to come alongside me. 
not saying we don't need accountability, but that just is like, I, I can't tell you the fear. The, the I don't want to go to that group, but that's what they got used to. And they said, that's what we should do in here. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> I mean, isn't that nuts? That, yeah, sorry. Th- that's no, a, it's nuts. That's it's brutal. Nuts. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a just, great way to put oh. people in enemy mode. It's a great way to trigger everybody's pain where they felt, you know, tore down in their lives. Like that is a recipe for disaster. Um, because what you're doing is you're, you're amplifying everybody's pain and you're activating all their pain and even trying to then correct it and follow it up with positive. That does, the ship's going to sink inevitably. So what we learn to do, because I know people might be asking, well, how do you deal with problems then? Or we're not, you know, are we saying? Yeah, how do you ever, call it out? I mean, yeah. even Jesus does. He's like, oh, he tell does. that fox. Yes. Tell yeah. that fox. I mean, yeah. Jesus doesn't spare it. He's right. like, you know what? You had trauma when you were a child. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, and right now I know that your sinful nature and your inclination is because of the trauma. I mean, I, I, I do struggle with that right now because I, I believe, I know there's trauma, but I, I also look at the New Testament and I don't see jesus always sparing their feelings yeah well it is helpful to understand jesus was the hardest on people he felt should have known better like the most the the shepherds of israel the most educated and qualified he had the harshest things to say and so you didn't see him saying that to the samaritan woman right you didn't see no you didn't because i'm looking for a book right now as you're talking yeah. Keep going. The woman in adultery. Now he, you know, go and the emotions the of God. Have you seen this? No, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. That's David good. Lamb. He just wrote a book on the emotion of God. He wrote a book called God behaving badly. And he was it, actually a really good book, really good book, but I haven't read this yet. He's coming on the show, but it just made me think of yeah, that. Cause that's a great, yeah. Understanding the emotions of God. I mean, as you just keep going, I didn't mean no, to mess you up. No, the, right. the, the key is, if we're going to deal with problems, we sandwich our problems in the bread of appreciation. So if I'm, let's say we got a problem, they're conflict. Now, you have taught that before. Yeah. The sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh. Yeah. We call the, relational sandwiches. Relational sandwiches. Yeah. Okay. What's yeah. in the relational and sandwich? So let's say we have a conflict and I want to come to you with a conflict. So, you know, you think of a sandwich, two pieces of bread with some got meat it. in the middle. Two pieces of bread. Right? What kind of bread? Uh, well, I like wheat bread. Trying to get you off your game. Go ahead. Go ahead. So go ahead. I would say I would start by what I enjoy about you, and I'd say, Travis, you know what? One of the things I really like about you is you're someone who cares deeply, and I feel like I can come to you uh, with a problem because I know you to be someone who cares deeply. All right. So there's the first piece of bread. Like I'm just this is who I know you to be. Now, Travis, I've noticed every time I reach out to you, you don't respond to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm feeling hurt because I, I feel dismissed. So now I'm sharing the meat of like, this is what's robbing the joy in our relationship. Like this hurts. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm reaching out. I'm not getting a response. But you know what? Because I know you to be someone that cares deeply, I feel like I can come to you and I can share my heart. And, you know, we're going to be closer at the end of this. And so the other piece of bread would be what I know about you, or again, what I enjoy in you. So I'm sandwiching the problem with who I know you to be and what I enjoy about you. So what it does is it helps to keep our joy switch on while we navigate this terrain. So I'm starting out by saying, I see you, and here's what I know about you, and this is who I, you know, what I really like about you. Now, here's what's hurtful, or here's what's frustrating, or here's what like is, is real hindering me from trying to work on our friendship. But I know you to be this kind of a person. And here's why I have hope. 
because I've seen you resolve differences with people and you, you know, you handle it really well. So I'm able to sandwich the problems with, you know, who I know you to be. And it keeps my relational brain on and hopefully it keeps your relational brain on. Cause I'm not just saying, you know, man, you've been really hurtful to me. You know, I'm feeling like I'm not just like out of blue, giving you a gut punch. You know, and then now we're focused on a problem and now you feel defensive or now, you know, I put you on your back foot. Now we're going to, you know, it, it just doesn't end as well. So we stay relational while we work on our, our differences. The difference is if my joy switch is on, I'll remember who you are while we navigate this terrain. And I'll remember who I am. Joy switch off. I'm focused on the problem. You're now an enemy and I need to win. And that's going to, you're going to feel the difference in me, whether my joy switch is on or whether I'm in enemy mode. Like you're going to feel that real fast. And then how we navigate that. If you're someone with a whole lot of capacity, you might still handle that gracefully and like, you know, resolve it. But if not, maybe it, you feel misunderstood. You feel attacked. Well, that puts you on the defensive. And now suddenly we're tit for tat and we're, you know, we're back and forth and we're not really going to get back to joy very well. So we're just with we're a relational bunch. We remember who we are, even while we navigate hard stuff. And, you know, the beauty of Jesus and even the disciples trying to emulate him is we try, try to be a people who love well. And a people who love well means we keep relationships bigger than problems. Part of this is because we remember who we are. I, we're children of the king. And what does that mean? If we, if we are truly children of the king, right? And our inheritance is with the king of kings for all eternity. How should I relate with the people around me? How should I love or forgive or, you know, build up? Like, how should I do that? So tearing others down for the sake of trying to build them back up. Like, that's, that's, ter- that's a horrible approach to discipleship or any kind of spiritual formation. You're just stirring up everybody's pain and putting everybody in enemy mode. That just doesn't end well at all. We have to actually grow joy that gives us the strength to suffer well. But if I don't have a lot of joy, I'm not going to suffer well. I'm going to forget who I am. I become reactive. And then I say and do things that just don't reflect the God that I serve. Mm, These are so good, Chris. This is so good. So how can people um, learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, my wife and I have a website called Thrive Today, thrivetoday.org. And we have 19 skills. So what we're talking about here is one of the skills. And people are probably like, 19? Are you kidding me? What what are the 19 skills? 19. So people can learn what are the skills. We have video. We have lots of information and resources on our website. There's some free resources. People can actually learn to recognize if your joy switch is on or off. And there's some exercises as well. So thrivetoday.org, you can learn more. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful. Travis, this has just been an absolute blast. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it is fun. How often do you get two Illinois boys yeah. loving Jesus and the Bears? I mean, the Bears come on. Fans. We, I mean, this and, is, yeah. Full disclosure, we share the same birthday. That's, <laughs> that's even crazy. Yeah, that is crazier. That's, that is crazy. Yeah. This but is wonderful. To, to be able to be brothers and to yeah. see this relational part of it is a, is a big deal and something that I think both of us, we, we echo that because we want to see that. And you called it a revolution, a relational revolution. I, I said reformation earlier, but either way, we want to see those relationships put back into the place so that God's name can receive glory, his kingdom would extend and people are wanting to his kingdom. But thank you so much, Chris, for coming on the show. Thank you, Travis. This has been delightful. It's increasingly amazing to me 
how simply getting the language to talk about these things can help us. I mean, seriously. We've had several conversations with guys like Chris Corsi. We've had Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks and Marcus Warner all teach us about brain science and how they actually show how spiritual formation is mapped out on the brain. And really, all of that has revealed how we have been made for relationship. I find it really fascinating because it increasingly shows just how much we need connection with one another. We are created to belong. How we need to operate, then, from a real place of joy becomes massive. Because if we truly don't love one another, if we don't really love the people around us, we don't have joy from being with them, and we look at people as simply as projects, then the mission of God becomes nothing but simply a transaction. But if we really love one another the way that God calls us to love one another, and we operate out of love and a joy in the knowledge of who they are and loving them for who they are, well, then we're doing what Jesus did. And that's a pretty incredible thing. And I'm not talking about manufactured joy, like hype joy, of trying to just stir things up, but a place of real joy, which is exactly what the scriptures, the gospel offers us. Not something manufactured, distracted, or substitute hits of something that can't really satisfy, but the knowledge of knowing God himself and wanting other people to know him too, and loving people the way that God wants us to. The gospel brings us into relationship with God and with one another. What we were meant to have all along. That's something that doesn't get talked about enough today. And when we get that part right, the world around us sees him. Seriously. I mean, the guy checking you in at your oil change, or the woman sitting across from you at Starbucks, or the kids on your son's soccer team. Part of the Apollos-watered approach, what we call the missioholistic approach, helps us to see that our relationships with people are one of the large parts of the means by which we help other people to see who Jesus is. This is why we brought this conversation to you. Look, relationships are still going to be tough. We're all going to run into people we don't get along with. We're going to have struggles with the people that we do like, even the ones that are closest to us. And we're going to argue about a variety of different things. But Chris's book gives us practical insight and exercises to do better in how we communicate and how we love and how we listen. And I do recommend it to you. And if nothing else, it will help you to simply take stock, look at your own life, and find out or point out what those beeps are. Remember the behaviors, events, experiences, people, and substances that we go to rather than work in our relationships. We all have a tendency to go to these beeps and simply push our relationships to the periphery because our joy switches were flipped off. And when we do, I think you will find that just naming them will help you to get that switch flipped back the other way. I hope that you found this episode helpful. And if so, then drop us a line on Instagram, Facebook, or our YouTube channel where you can see this conversation and so many more. Or simply email me at travis at apolloswatered.org and let us know what you thought and if you'd like more episodes like this. I want to thank our Apollos Watered team for helping to water the world. 
This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Water. Stay watered, everybody.